Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You are listening to Paradigm Shifters, and I'm Veronica Entwistle. Our guest today is Steve Behrman and Swami Beyondananda. And Swami is Steve's alter ego, and Steve is a political theorist, and so is Swami. So we're going to have kind of an interesting, uh, what, what do you call it, conscious comedianship? We're going to have an interesting role with time and space. And these two guys, welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. We're both happy to be here, and I'm glad we're in this conversation at this time. (laughs) (laughs) I am, too. And because you're a political wizard, the first thing we all want to know, of course, is what on earth is going on politically? Is this a sign of evolution or what? And I will either let you or Swami answer that. Well, well, I'll take that one on. You know, I wrote a book with uh, the cellular biologist Bruce Lipton several years ago called Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here. And one of the metaphors that we use to describe the current, um, the new word is situation, the situation. <laughs> the situation. <laughs> yeah, is, uh, is the, uh, the transformation of the caterpillar into the butterfly. Now, you know, it's a very interesting metaphor because um, the caterpillar as an organism over the course of its lifetime as a caterpillar consumes 26,000 times its own weight in food. And so we are emerging from a consumer civilization where we have extracted as much as we possibly could from the earth and from other human beings and have failed to put back what we have extracted. We've externalized all of the costs and now the proverbial chickens are coming home to roost. And so what we're seeing right now is very similar to what happens inside the chrysalis as the caterpillar transforms into the butterfly. And we all know uh, in, from our personal histories that when we are in the process of evolutionary change, um, things are in chaos. That you can, It's very hard to simply go, well, I think I'm going to make a major change today and have that Uh, occur without speed bumps. So we are in the chrysalis. And what happens in the chrysalis as the the caterpillar is deconstructing and the butterfly is coming together. Now, when the caterpillar is deconstructing, all of these old caterpillar cells, all of the old structures of this um, consumer organism simply uh, dissolve and fall apart. And there is this soup. We are in that soup right now. We are in... uh, uh, in, a, in this situation where it's very hard to tell what's true, what's not true, many different conflicting narratives are being given, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a and ferment, so it, isn't it? It's a ferment that every part of it has got something trying to create itself, right? Yes, exactly. This is really, a, it's really a chemical process, uh, an alchemical process. And mm-hmm. so in the, it, what happens inside the chrysalis is uh, at some point, these new butterfly cells that are called, believe it or not, imaginal cells. And these imaginal cells begin to uh, pop up and they begin to communicate with one another. Uh, Bruce Lipton, the biologist, said that uh, the the human equivalent, metaphorical equivalent to these imaginal cells was the cultural revolution of the 1960s where the first, these first uh, cultural creative cells began to emerge. And Uh, began to shift the conversation. They were very disruptive. And what's happened over the past 50 years is that um, 
because the caterpillar forces have until now been stronger. They've had the momentum of these uh, structures and institutions. They have been able to snuff out these new emerging caterpillar cells. And a good example of how that uh, has taken place is through the mainstream media, which is more managed than any time in our lifetime. What we have right now is a lot like Pravda in the Soviet Union or the Cultural Revolution in China. It's totalitarianism disguised as progressivism. We can talk more about that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. The new imaginal cells are beginning to communicate with one another. And this new imaginal view is simply that we're all in this together. We're all connected. We're all part of this one matrix. And we've been using our energy to fight one another when if we used our energy to cooperate and collaborate, then we would actually be able to have um, everything uh, we need to provide uh, sufficiency for everybody on the planet. And my, my colleague, David Corton, has written a number of excellent books. Uh, the way he puts it is what we need to create right now is um, economic sufficiency and spiritual abundance. Uh -huh. So the spiritual abundance comes from recognizing that um, our individual fulfillment, that we are here to actually uh, fulfill a purpose that no other individual is here to do. Everybody, as the Swami would say, each of us is totally unique, just like everyone else. So <laughs> to answer this long, long answer to your short, short question, what we are experiencing now is a transformation and ultimately, if we are able to uh, survive this, um, this chrysalis phase, we will emerge as a new organism, like the butterfly, able to see from a higher view, able to um, uh, pollinate healthy growth and um, light, very light, very light on the earth, as opposed to the caterpillar that devours 26,000 times its own weight. Hmm, what, 26,000 times its own weight. You know what's interesting? While you say all that, I go, uh, I wonder if humanity, because it knows it's consumed at some level, it knows it's consumed so much life, uh, food, et cetera, et cetera, unfairly and so on. Has that given us enough uh, new cells and <laughs> imaginal cells to move beyond that level of consciousness? Is that what it does? It fuels consciousness? Well, you know, if you look at the patterns of evolution, um, the patterns of evolution, every phase of evolution, two things happen. There is okay. an increase in awareness and there's an increase of connection and collaboration. Oh, okay. So we are, we are evolving from two incomplete uh, and consequently toxic narratives. And one narrative, you could, you could look at that narrative, maybe, maybe typify that as Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And that narrative has to do with the, dominate or be dominated. That uh, the reason why America hasn't been great is that we haven't dominated enough. We need to dominate more. Mm -hmm. uh, this is part of the patriarchy. It's part of patriarchal religion. Uh, and uh, it's proven itself to be an incomplete narrative. The second narrative could probably best be typified by Bill Gates. And that is a narrative of the technocracy, which has taken over the progressive movement while the progressive movement hasn't been paying attention. Mm -hmm. uh, and it represents the religion of science, which we call scientism. Um, 
when uh, science and religion had their divorce several hundred years ago, uh, religion was given the uh, domain, uh, dominion over our spiritual lives, and science was given dominion over our political lives, uh, our, our practical and physical lives. And so what's happened is that science has proceeded without God. Science has proceeded without spirit. Science has proceeded in the imagination that through our human mind, we can do better than nature. And what keeps coming to mind is the old Walt Disney animation Fantasia and the scene of Mickey Mouse as the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Um, having some knowledge, but no wisdom. And so mm -hmm. when we look at the technocracy, the brave new, I call it the grave new world that we're headed uh -huh. for. Good line, yeah. The grave new world, uh, Bill Gates being the, the uh, because he's so in bed with Monsanto, who wants to own all the uh, food in the world, and because of his, um, uh, his commitment to top-down control, medical monopoly, and tyranny. Um, and money, headed, and money, Steve. Well, there's three M's. There's money, machine, and, uh, and materialism. Three M's that all go together. Mm -hmm. And because there hasn't been a common, commonly sense, common sense of sane and sacred at the center of our civilization, by the power of default, vacuum, the power of money, the unchecked, uh, unbalanced, and unmitigated power of money and the power that money buys is has been in the driver's seat because mm -hmm. we have not insisted that there is a value more important than money. So part of this great upwising as we wake up and wise up is recognizing that we have to come together at the heart uh, that there is something missing at the heart of who we are. It's the fundamental humanity that we share, that the 90% of us who are not sociopaths have in common. But because of the, uh, uh, the toxic sociopathogens that have taken control of the system and really control both political sides to make sure that we don't, in fact, have a real conversation for collaboration, mm -hmm. um, we're in this uh, position that we're in. Now, from the pattern of evolution, um, what we've seen is that when populations uh, reach a certain threshold, it requires a new organization system. I'll give you an example. Did, have you ever had a goldfish? Yes, yes. Okay, mm -hmm. okay, you have a goldfish. You have two or three goldfish, and they're in a little goldfish bowl, and they're swimming around and having a great time. And then you decide, you know, I want more fish. I want more goldfish. And at some point, when you put in a threshold number of fish, where the fish are in a certain proximity from one another, an interesting thing happens. They begin to reorganize in a different pattern. And they first begin swimming in a barrel pattern. When you add more fish, they begin to school together and all of the fish are swimming in one single pattern together. In human civilization, this is also true. So imagine, if you will, that we are still living in a um, hunter-gatherer society, and mm -hmm. every morning, 8 million New Yorkers trudge up to Westchester County to forage for food. Um, obviously, that 
system of organization couldn't possibly work. And so we've organized ourselves in various hierarchical patterns. Um, and now those hierarchical patterns that we've organized ourselves for the industrial revolution are, are obviously obsolete and new word obsolethal because they're deadly as we have to um, reorganize ourselves for cooperation. Uh, one of the great visionary uh, philosophers and scientists of the 20th century, Buckminster Fuller, wrote a book about 50 years ago called Utopia or Oblivion. Hmm. And what he meant was that because of the impact of human civilization, because of our footprint, uh, because we are impacting the physical world in a way that we have never done so before, unless we organize ourselves to create utopia, we will devolve into oblivion. Or unless we create heaven on earth, we are going to go to hell in a handbasket. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's kind of what the threat is right now, for sure, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, right now we're, uh, we're locked in this uh, ideological battle. People's focus is on the battlefield. Uh, and the battlefield is really, an, uh, if you want to get spiritual about it, the battlefield is really an ego-based, fear-based space where we believe that we need to be in control because we have forgotten how to allow spirit to be in command. And in this state of fear in which we live, it's even about how do I get enough of an education? How do I get enough money? It's not about how can I put my own uh, uh, wisdom into the world and nurture the planet, you know? It's so weird, isn't it? Well, because of the, uh, because of the uh, competition, and by the way, uh, we need to evolve competition or, or bring it back to the original Greek meaning for the word. Originally, the word meant to strive together. Mm -hmm. And if you can imagine those Greek Olympic athletes uh, of ancient times competing against one another, they weren't looking to defeat the other, in the other individuals. They were using the other individuals, if you will, as pace cars so that they could achieve their own personal best. So mm -hmm. if we had a society where we were striving together for the benefit of all, using our individual skills and talents, uh, not the ones that we are being taught from the top down in this school system that was developed in uh, 19th century Prussia, to produce um, obedient uh, cogs in the machinery. But if we used the, uh, the real, real potential for education, educare, to draw forth, if we were able, if we were willing to draw forth the genius and individual um, gifts of every child, and then do this in the context of community, we would have uh, a phenomenal heaven on earth. Now, if we were to, if we're looking at heaven on earth, what we would call heaven on earth or utopia, the 50 trillion community uh, uh, cellular, 50 trillion cell community beneath our skins would simply be calling health and well-being. Mm -hmm. Isn't that something, hey? So, so tell me this, do you think that a lot of it is keeping, uh, that the controls are being run by for example, the media and the slants of the media, it feels like it's a real plot and a plan instead of just happenstance today. 
Well, you know, I uh, when people ask me about conspiracy theories, I say, you know, uh, I'm sure that there are plenty of uncovered conspiracy theories, but I prefer to focus on the conspiracy facts. In other words, the, you know, Bill Gates's desire to control all the food on the planet and impose this top-down uh, vaccination um, surveillance agenda. It's not a conspiracy theory. You could look it up. This is, this is his intention. He's mm -hmm. been uh, uh, in bed with Bayer Monsanto. All you need to do is Google Vandana Shiva, V-A-N-D-N-A-S-H-I-V-A, who is a world-renowned uh, activist from India. And she will tell you all you need to do, all you need to know about the impact of Bill Gates's uh, green revolution. Again, uh, oxymoronic, neither green nor a revolution. Uh, on the farmers in India, uh, the tremendous suicide rates of those farmers. Mm -hmm. So this is not a conspiracy theory. Uh, I heard Mark Crispin Miller, a brilliant uh, a journalist and ep uh, an expert on propaganda. He, he used my, I, I saw him interviewed, he used my definition of conspiracy theory. A conspiracy theory is something which, if it were true, you couldn't deal with it. Ah, and so what, what's his name, Crispin? Mark Crispin Miller. Okay. And what I would do if I were uh, your listeners is I would go and Google Mark Crispin Miller interviewed on the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T. And that will give you an insight into uh, what is happening at our universities right now. Um, it's very much like the cultural revolution in China, where people who are, um, where if anybody questions any aspect of the official COVID narrative or the official politically correct cancel culture woke narrative, they are cited for hate speech. Wow. Watch wow. that. Wow. I, I mean, I can't I say enough about this. Every one of your listeners, I want you to go and Google and watch this hour-long interview uh, with uh, a great, you know, uh, with Mark Crispin Miller, um, who actually wrote the introduction to the most recent version of Edward Bernays' book from 95 years ago called Propaganda. Okay. I'm writing notes here, I'll tell you what, because I'm going to check it out. I want you to talk even more about the COVID thing, because I find it uh, almost mesmerizingly strange. I think metaphorically, it's been a really good crucible for a lot of us to find out more about who we are, because we're locked in. But the whole idea of being confined and everyone having to have vaccinations is very world dominating, you know? And uh, I don't know, I'm just like going, I don't even quite know what to think. So please talk about it. You know, when the COVID thing first happened over a year ago, I took the position that many progressives were taking that what an opportunity to stop the relentless uh, exploitation of our resources, the, sure. the mindless use of things. You know, again, it's been very, you know, it's been very efficient to have uh, conferences become Zoom conferences, saving mm -hmm. millions and millions and millions of dollars, hours, fuel, et cetera, et cetera. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, the lockdown was going to last. Saving huge, huge, saving who money. And it's mostly been saving the big money people a lot of well, money. Well, you know, think of it this way. Um, um, for people who, uh, for any kind of business uh, who <clears throat> that uses, uh, that has a facility uh, or has, has been in the habit of bringing people to, uh, together for personal meetings at great expense, at great footprint, it's been actually a much more efficient thing. You know, I, I really had a hard time getting used to doing comedy by Zoom. You know, comedy without <laughs> an audience, they have medication for that. Okay, so <laughs> it's been a challenge. But now I find, my God, I, I'll come in and do a Sunday morning church talk. I'll be paid for it. My commute is from the living room into my office, and it's very efficient. And I'm now able, I'm now able to communicate with people across the world. It's really quite amazing. But then uh-huh. what happened during the? I took uh, my wife Trudy and I during the uh, lockdown. And by the way, I don't like the term lockdown. It it, it it's a downer, and I okay. prefer having a much more upbeat view at what we're doing so i've started calling it we're not being locked down we're being locked up oh wow doesn't that sound better much more upbeat i'm being locked (laughs) up i'm not being locked down but anyway so during this period of time i and like many many other people took the opportunity to educate myself about vaccinations about covid and so on and what i discovered were two things first of all uh, there, uh, there's a vast, vast uh, uh, studies and information indicating that the approach that we've taken, lockdowns, masking, vaccinations, are the exact wrong approach to take. <clears throat> there's many, many arguments uh, in favor of doing it the other way. And then the second thing was even more scary the uh, relentless and totalitarian lockdown of all information that violates, uh, that, that contradicts the official narrative. Now, I have a lot of progressive friends, and it's really interesting that how many of these people uh, keep insisting that, you know, they're rational people, they believe in science. I believe in science. I believe in science. And the fact is that science is a religion. Well, also, who who paid for the science? Who paid for the research? Well, that's part of it. And and yes, they they believe the facts, but they're all, but they're not aware. What they're not aware of is that the facts that they are being allowed to see are being very very carefully managed. Carefully managed, I agree. And so what? Uh, and so progressives don't understand that in 2022. Um, the Republicans will absolutely regain control of Congress. And in 2024, the Republicans are very likely to win the White House. And it won't be because of racism, uh, like, uh, you know, like the, uh, or, or hate or any of that nonsense. It'll be because Americans are waking up and recognizing that the Democrats are now the party of totalitarianism. Wow, really? Look at it. Uh, when you, uh, that's why I want you, everybody, to go watch the interview with Mark Crispin Miller and um, uh, James Corbett. 
about Mark Crispin's Miller, Miller that here there's no um, talk about irony deficiency. So Mark Crispin Miller teaches a course on propaganda, uh, you know, looking at propaganda. Uh, because he offered points of view that indicated that, that uh, masking might not be the best way to go, not recommending that people not wear masks, just look at this and decide for yourself. He is now suspended, essentially, under review. Um, 23 of his colleagues have called for his firing, and they've, uh, on hearsay evidence, and they have fallen in line be behind the totalitarian woke culture um, idea that, uh, that focuses on quote unquote microaggressions rather than seeing the macroaggression of a totalitarian system that wants to control everything about us and turn us into machines and deplatform the natural medicine that's kept me and my wife healthy into our 70s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a natural medicine kind of girl myself. Um, the only thing is, is that there are some simple things like, for example, uh, masks have helped keep people from getting the flu. And I don't like to get a flu shot either. So there is something, there are some parts of it that are helpful, right? Well, you know, I don't think I'm not I don't have a big issue with masking, although I think that there are some very like being outside. That's really absurd if you're outside uh, hiking and so on. Um, but I the way that I put it is that uh, it's one thing to cover your nose and mouth to prevent the spread of a virus. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to be instructed to close your eyes and ears to prevent the spread of uh, dangerous viral ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're at. It's not the mask. It's what it's everything around it. It's, it's also the, the fear. It, it, it's driving fear. Driving fear. When we are fearful, Bruce Lipton says this, and as do many other biologists, when we're fearful, we lose our creativity. Mm -hmm. uh, the blood goes uh, to our extremities, it, not to our, uh, and it goes to our hindbrain not our prefrontal cortex. So um, it used to be that we, it was very easy to see how uh, the Donald Trump supporters on the right were being manipulated um, you know, through uh, fundamentalist religion and all sorts of other lies and so on. But to manipulate progressives, you have to be a lot more sophisticated. And so uh, progressives have failed to recognize how they have been manipulated and how uh, once you start to look at the patterns of mainstream media throughout the world, all using the same language, right. um, uh, the people uh, who are promoting any kind of natural medicine, any kind of medicine that is not uh, patentable, mm -hmm. they've been deplatformed, they've been mm -hmm. taken off Facebook. Um, Sayer G, who has a website um, on uh, Green Med Info, uh, I He's know good. the guy. He's not a racist, but he has been deplatformed as a hate site. Wow. And progressives, progressives do not, if they see somebody as deplatformed as a hate site, um, well, you know, the hell with them then. They deserve it without really going any deeper. And so the article I'm writing right now was 
First, they came for the vaccine skeptics because that is how fascism advances. Uh, you know, back in the 30s, um, uh, here in, uh, in the US, one of our great fascists, uh, uh, Huey Long, uh, Governor mm -hmm. Huey Long of, of, New, of Louisiana, said that if fascism ever comes to America, it'll be called uh, corporatism. Oh, uh, and now well, he, he was a union guy, wasn't he, Huey Long? Sure. No, uh, Huey Long was a populist, yes, um, but he was a white supremacist, uh, anti-Semite, oh, okay. etc., okay. who was assassinated uh, in 1935. Okay. Um, but now it seems that the fascism is being driven by um, by progressives who are refusing to recognize the uh, the propaganda that they're being fed and they're perpetuating uh, through the mainstream media. But how how can we recognize it? If I'm a progressive, I don't know what I am. I try to be open, but how do we recognize these things? This is very important. Well, notice who is being deplatformed and then okay. go check out the people who are being deplatformed mm -hmm. and then decide for yourself. Is this a hate site? Um, uh, I just, I had an interaction with somebody just, uh, just recently, uh, you know, and he, he, he said, well, how can you question the vaccine thing? And I sent him a, a wonderful video uh, of a doctor testifying in front of Congress um, last fall about how the actual treatments that would actually prevent people from getting into the hospital um, have been uh, deplatformed, have been neglected. Oh, wow, really? So, so think about this. Now, I, back in April, last April, I had a conversation with a chiropractor friend of mine I've known for 40 years. And he was telling me about an associate of his, who at that point, had dealt with 30 or 40 COVID cases, every one of them successfully, including somebody who uh, had basically left the hospital because he knew that, that he was gonna die there. Mm -hmm. And what? And these were all um, uh, vitamin C, uh, vitamin uh, D3, various supplements, et cetera, et cetera, designed to improve immune function, release the stress of worry, and every one of these treatments were successful. Mm -hmm. However, he couldn't, I couldn't release this individual's name. I could not wow. publicize it or he would be put in jail. Wow. So what's happened is that fortunate people like us who have been exposed to natural functional holistic medicine over the And have had to years, fight for the right, I have to tell you that. Well, well, right now, this is really a very good thing, because I think at this point, if we look at the bigger picture, we're, we're looking at the prospect of medical totalitarianism, where mm -hmm. we will not have the right to do any of these things. Hmm. And so uh, that's why I say first they came for the vaccine skeptics, but soon they're going to come for the anti-GMO people. Then they're going to come for those who believe that good food comes from the soil. Mm-hmm on and on and on and on until we become uh, the brave, grave new world of um, Ray Kurzweil and we've achieved the singularity of becoming machines. Who's, who's Ray Kurzweil? Look up Ray Kurzweil, R-A-Y-K-U-R-Z-W-E-I-L. 
uh, he is the key proponent of singularity. Uh, okay. That is where the technocracy is taking us to where we finally get rid of the, we, the final solution to the human problem is get rid of all of our human characteristics and program ourselves as machines. And if you think this is sci-fi baloney, this is where the money is right now. Mm-hmm. So we're on our way to that. And there is even a question whether we can stop it. But if we are going to stop it, then we have to wake up now and begin to come together above and beyond this political divide that is artificially manufactured to make sure that the two sides don't compare notes and recognize that there are things that 90% of us who are not sociopaths would like to see in the world. Mm -hmm. Well, also, this is going to sound small compared to what you're talking about, but I've been in health foods for many years and I have tracked so many situations that were just what destructive to humanity, like uh, like pellagra, which is just a, a disease that came from from a deficiency in the way they stored corn, and they used that that terrible corn and created a huge ailment called pellagra for well over a hundred years, even though they knew better. And I'm going, why can't? It's not just that. It's like vaccines. I don't like vaccines because I don't know what else is in there. You don't even, you know, with the autism and all that. But the reason I don't know is because I can't trust what you read. Do you see what I'm saying? And there's one thing after another. When are we going to stand up and scream about that? Well, this is part of the great, my other work uh, in The Great Uprising. Uh, I'm launching a podcast with a conservative activist, uh, transpartisan activist. Of course, he worked on Marianne Williamson's campaign, so he obviously has a broader (laughs) view. Uh, called Front and Center, Cultivating the Sane and Sacred Community. And uh, this is really designed to bring people together above and beyond the the divide and leave the divisive issues of identity issues and focus on the identical issues that we all have in common. Clean air, clean food, clean water, clean government. And only by coming together uh, above and beyond the, this uh, intentional division, can we actually create the health and well-being that is our destiny and legacy? Uh, and so right now, we have to look at the big picture, which is money has been in the driver's seat because we haven't cultivated a sane and sacred center, uh, a principle that uh, that is bigger than the power of money. And so naturally, or rather unnaturally, uh, for the last um, 130 or so years, ever since a Supreme Court um, uh, decision um, in 1886, it wasn't really a Supreme Court decision, but simply an interpretation, corporations have been given the status of persons. And mm-hmm. so the corporation, which has one, uh, um, one mission, and that is to maximize profits for its shareholders, mm-hmm. that one, so it's essentially a heartless, soulless, sociopathic entity that can live forever. <laughs> uh, and so these corporations have been given free reign over the, over the natural world, over humanity, 
And we wonder, gee, why has this happened? So until real human beings take, uh, take this power from a sane and sacred center and take us away from these polarizing, intentionally polarizing narratives designed to keep us separate, um, that's going to be um, what actually shifts things. It's conscious evolution, as Bruce Lipton would say. Conscious evolution, alternative to mass extinction. And by conscious evolution, I mean a critical mass of the heretofore uncritical masses awakening uh, which, to something that I'm calling the great upwising. Waking <laughs> up waking up to the illusion of separation and how we've been divided and conquered. Wising up to the power of love so that the, uh, the four E's, which are exploitation, extraction, extortion, and extinction can be uh, evolved into the four C's, cooperation, collaboration, community, and cultivation. And we wise up to the power of love and coherence that we are far better working together than fighting one another. Then we grow up as individuals and as a society from children of God at the effect of to adults of good who are bringing the betterment through their own personal gifts. And wow. finally, we show up on a new battle, on a new playing field that supersedes the old battlefield. The new playing field, thrival for each and all, where the golden rule overrules the rule of gold. I like that thrival too. That's a great word. <laughs> well, tell me this. Let's go back to what you and Bruce Lipton were discovering in your spont spontaneous evolution. Is it true, thinking about the butterfly and the imaginal cells and all that, is it true that we all have deep within us a kind of an active evolutionary if you want push or yearning that wants to move us into this greater awakened consciousness is it there in spite of our bloody mindedness as they say in england <laughs> is it is it there in us to be uh to foster evolution well you know um a few months ago, I got this idea that that really our humanifest destiny, our destiny as a mm -hmm. species, okay. is uh, for every individual to be able to climb, climb Maslow's ladder. You're probably mm -hmm. familiar with Abraham Maslow back in oh, the yeah. 60s, who mm -hmm. talked about the hierarchy of needs. And we begin with the obvious needs for survival, the need for love, and the need for connection, need for worthy work. Etc. Etc. And then finally, the crown jewel is we can become self-realized human beings. And I hey. thought that's really a very elegant way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. Then, then I read this piece by an indigenous person who said Maslow's scale is upside down. Oh, really? Maslow's scale is upside down. We need to find that. Um, uh, self-actualization first and then everything comes from that wow. and when you start to recognize what the native peoples knew what the indigenous people knew they were connected with their world you know the original meaning of religion comes from the word religare which means to bind now of course uh, in its negative context uh, you know, religion you know binds us to a patriarchal system blah 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 but in its generic meaning, 
It means to bind us, to connect us with the web of life, the web of love, with the eternal one spirit. And so in healthy cultures, there is a connection, a natural knowing, a natural connection that we are connected to uh, this one love. Uh, I'll say more about that in a minute. This one love and that we're connected to the natural world and the web of life and we're connected to one another. And so um, we have forgotten that and through our so-called civilization, uh, our desire to control other people and control the natural world, we have just about woven ourselves outside of the web of life. Wow. I'm going to bring one thing, one other uh, uh, thing in here that may seem strange. Uh, on my WikiPolitiki radio show, I just interviewed an old colleague of mine, Bruce Grayson, who I met when he was the emergency room psychiatrist at University of Michigan Hospital. Well, to make a long story short, uh, short uh, Bruce, a psychiatrist, has spent a lifetime studying near-death experiences. And his latest book, his, his book is called After, let me read this to you, uh, A Doctor Explores What Near-Death Experiences Reveal About Life and Beyond. Now, Bruce is a scientist. He doesn't have any particular religious belief or whatever, but in studying uh, these um, phenomena, he has had to admit that people have had memories even though their brains have been dead. When people return from these experiences, and again, you know, 20 or so percent of people who uh, go through the, who um, quote unquote die or are, are dead for a period of time, their heart stops, they stop breathing, have these experiences and they're all rather the same. Uh, there is a feeling of universal peace and love. Mm -hmm. And what happens when people come out of these near-death experiences, they become um, much more spiritual. They have a sense of uh, what they would call, what a lot of people would call God, and yet they become less religious. They have an understanding that out there, beyond this physical existence, there is a universal field of love mm -hmm. that they can't totally describe when they come back. When people hear about these, uh, when people have these experiences, they tend to lose their fear of death mm -hmm. and lose their fear of life. Mm -hmm. They begin to recognize, wow, I can do this because I'm not afraid anymore. Mm -hmm. Here's something else. People who read about and learn about near-death experiences also have a tendency to lose their fear of death and lose their fear of life. Mm -hmm. So why is this important? It's important because even scientific research is letting us know that there is a force beyond the physical world. Uh, and we need to now move to a place beyond science, uh, beyond religion, and beyond non-religion to where we um, recognize the paradox of the physical and the non-physical operating together and the universal power of love. The people who have had these near-death experiences 
they uh, often make changes in their lives where they leave stressful materialistic professions mm -hmm. and they begin uh, professions where they can be much more in service and care. In other words, people who've had these experiences and hear about these experiences, and I really urge you to listen to my interview with Bruce Grayson on WikiPolitiki Radio okay. and follow those tracks and follow, read about near-death experiences and watch videos because the people who are exposed to this tend to lose their fears and are less likely to be manipulated by the narratives that are manipulating people right now. So we need to induce a few of those. Eh? I just want to put a little sidebar. As a friend of mine is, a, is kind of a nurse, uh, kind of a clinician, but a leader in this small clinic, and, which deals with a lot of COVID people. And I said to her, tell me, what, what is it? Is it building the immune system that creates success for some of these people? And she said, no, without a doubt, the people that have done really well that she's dealt with who had severe COVID were all people with strong philosophical or spiritual uh, persona, you know? And she said, it was just, it's just been remarkable for her. She could pretty yep. much guarantee it. And it's not the same as NDE, but it can overlap there. Well, it's a, it's a significant emotional event. And again, um, when it's really important, you know, I, I met somebody a number of years ago who had a near-death experience and she was saying, she said, when I came out of it, I was really pissed. <laughs> really? How come? She says, I was really angry at my parents and my, uh, my minister uh, for the way they represented uh, this whole domain. They were so wrong. Because one of the things that people experience is that there is no judgment. There no is judgment. no judgment uh, that there's only love, only love. And uh, one of the, the practices that Trudy and I, my wife Trudy and I um, have been doing uh, since last May, um, uh, Trudy helped a, a friend um, dismantle his home to be sold. And um, you know, she had first dibs to the treasures and she came back with uh, a box set of uh, four seasons of Touched by an Angel. Oh, which I, I, I watch it every day. You watch it every day? Yep. So do. do we. Every no, night we end, it, we end every evening with Touched by an Angel. Now, back in the day, I made fun of it. I said, yeah, Fox <laughs> was coming out with an edgier show, inappropriately Touched by an Angel. Ha, ha, ha. But. Um, we started watching this, and the message is so clean, so clean, non-judgmental. God uh -huh. loves you. God yeah. loves you. God loves you. Forgive. Why forgive? Because it liberates you from the prison of being uh, of holding judgments against other people. And I have to say that um, of all of the things that we have done to enhance our immune system and our well-being. Ending our evenings, not with the news and not with something, some horrific conspiracy, but with touched by an angel. Um, <laughs> I agree we, with you. <laughs> we, we have actually transformed our lives. And I totally understand. Um, I, I have a totally different perspective than so many of my friends who are in terror of COVID. 
and if uh, and that terror has compromised their immune system. For sure, yes, I'm sure. Huh. Well, thank you for that little uh, hit of touched by an angel because you're. I believe you're absolutely right, and the terror is what kills us. I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what makes us very very manageable. So. So part of this is that's first it. Of very all, manageable. You're absolutely right on that. So go ahead. Yeah, uh, you know, somebody once said spirituality is our connection with the divine, and religion is crowd control. So, <laughs> so at this point, I think um, Bruce and I, uh, in spontaneous evolution, we uh, created a three-step program, which is guaranteed to work four times faster than twelve-step. And the three-step program is evolutionary awareness evolutionary intention and evolutionary practice. So evolutionary awareness is simply being aware of the bigger picture. Liberate yourself from this battlefield and start noticing the language that's being used by mainstream media. Mm-hmm. And notice how the words are all the same and how uh, in front of, let's say, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., He's always labeled as a conspiracy theorist uh, or, uh, you know, or discredited or all of that and start to notice how our opinion is being managed very, very carefully. Once you start to see the patterns, you will never be able to watch CNN or even NPR or read the New York Times the same ever again. Mm-hmm. That's I why agree. people are, are questioning those. Okay, number two. And if people a, question them, we're almost on the first floor. Aren't we stepping up on the first step anyway? Exactly, but the people mm-hmm. who are questioning it are, are not, I have no platform right now. So mm-hmm. that, um, you know, if you look at mainstream media, you're only allowed to say one thing. And if you say something else, then you're called a conspiracy theorist, a racist, a denier, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so number two is evolutionary intention. In other words, recognize that we are recognized that we are in the uh, the um, uh, chrysalis, mm-hmm. and to have the intention of finding the other imaginal cells who are ready to vision this new uh, this new culture, and who are ready to have the courage to step outside the mainstream narrative and begin to connect in community with these people. And then number three is evolutionary practice, which means something every day that affirms uh, the upwising, that um, we have moved beyond the illusion of separation. We are affirming the connection with the web of love and the web of life and with the uh, uh, eternal one spirit, and that we are... um, beginning to live from that in the actions that we take and what we support with our uh, intention, with our attention, with our energy, with our financial resource. I love that. You're making it very clear. It's like a clear, crystal clear, like a chrysalis should have, a crystal Crystalis clear. clear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really appreciate that, Steve. And uh, tell people a little bit more about Wikipolitiki. W-I-K-I-P-O-L-I-T-I-K-I, Wikipolitiki.com. I have a radio show that uh, we call it, uh, uh, our purpose is to bring left and right, front and center, 
to face the music and dance together. <laughs> Great. Because so much of this polarization uh, is avoidance because most human beings want to avoid facing the problems that we have right now. It's so much easier to find somebody to blame. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to make it about some other evil force outside of ourselves. Once we begin to recognize how our own ego puts us on the battlefield and how our own desire to be right uh, has often taken precedence over love, connection, and our own well-being, that sobering belief, that sobering realization um, makes us compassionate about those that we perceive to be on the other side. Mm -hmm. And indeed, there are, there are two, uh, there's probably many more, but there's three projects that I think are worth looking at. One is called Listen First. The other is called Living Room Conversations. And the other is called Braver Angels. And all three of these projects are designed to bring people into conversation across the political divide to rehumanize one another so that we recognize the genuine uh, common human desires that we all share. And instead of being involved in a tug of war, pulling in opposite directions, we engage in a tug of peace, pulling together in the same direction to bring about what Charles Eisenstein calls the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. Oh, he's a marvelous writer too, isn't he? So what is number three? Listen first, Living Room Conversations. Living Room, living room Conversations, that's Joan Blades from Move On and John Gable, a conservative. Mm -hmm. um, Braver Angels um, was a group. Bra Braver was, Angels. Braver Angels that was founded right after the 2016 election to bring uh, Trump voters and Hillary voters together uh, in conversation to listen to one another, listen hmm. first. Uh, and then um, uh, and listen first is another um, faith-based um, uh, organization that's designed to uh, bring people together in ecumenical conversation. Wow, this is great. And so what's happening is it's creating more imaginal cells, right? Yeah, With it's unstoppable. Attention. It's unstoppable. Now, the thing is, uh, there is the question, will we wake up in time? I mean, there are, there are many, many, many forces that, uh, that are, you know, that are indicating it might already be too late. However, whether we are uh, midwifing a, a new world or hospicing the old, love is the tool that's required. And one of the little tunes that came to me uh, recently is... Um, we're all in the same boat. The Titanic is sinking. And the lifeboat is the love boat. Aww. Wow. So whether, whether we're being born or whether we're dying, love is the solution. Boy, that sounds like a song if I ever heard one, right? <laughs> yes, well, you're wonderful. I'm writing that song, yes. <laughs> Good. You're speaking that song, too. Thank you so much for being with us. And we didn't get much chance to talk to Swami, but I'm sure he's peeking through your thoughts in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think this was a more serious conversation, I think, because right now, this is this is something that requires being addressed. And when we go deeper in my work, uh, I've created Cosmic Comic Consciousness 
as a parallel to the great uprising so that for every one of the steps in the uprising, there is a, uh, a step that allows us to learn how to laugh more and use humor as an evolutionary tool. I love that. And you certainly are leading the way for a lot of us to wake up and laugh. Even though these are serious thoughts, every thought that you've given us today has got some kind of open window to it. It has made me feel possible. So I thank you for that. I thank you for being a receiver and for sharing, uh, again, helping to shift the paradigm and spreading the word as you are uh, talking with, with the people that you are talking with. I, I see that you are uh, replaying a Rennie Davis uh, interview. Or you yes, it was that. perfect timing, wasn't it? It was perfect timing. You know, it's mm -hmm. always good to get these people before they pass. Um, mm -hmm. So that was good timing on your part. And again, um, sometimes we don't know the positive implications of the ripples that go out. So mm -hmm. a positive thought, a positive word, not as a word of denial, but as celebration of radical acceptance so that we become uh, the species that we're capable of becoming. And the art of becoming is what there really is, isn't it? Well, exactly. I thank you, Steve Behrman, and I certainly hope you'll come back on again. I will. I will. Yeah. Thanks for your work in play, Veronica. And as and the Swami too. would say, may the farce be with you. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. And much, much love to both of oh. you, all of you, and Trudy. Okay. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.